Welcome to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast where you'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made more money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more, go to writeyourbookinaflash.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Ann Janser. How are you? Hi, Dan. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You Tell us about yourself. You've written a couple of books, and you're, you, you have this... I want you to tell your story, so I'll shut up. Tell your story. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I'm just so excited. Um, no, I'm so excited. Um, I write books about writing, primarily. My first book uh, was a book about marketing, based on what I'd found uh, and experienced in the technology market. And I wrote that book. Um, I wrote it actually pretty quickly. And it was one of those books that had a huge impact on my career. Um, and at that point, I faced a decision point. Could I go into being an expert on marketing for subscription-based businesses, which was the topic of the book, or could I just realize I got so excited about writing a book that I went into writing books? And that's what I did. I shifted my, I shifted my career to writing books about writing to encourage other nonfiction authors to uh, experience the same uh, things that I had. In, in writing a book, to, to experience the, the difference that that can make in your life and the world. Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the book made a difference in your life or in some of your clients' lives? Right. So, uh, my, interestingly, my first book, which was the business book about, um, about marketing for subscription-based businesses, um, that I have continued to hear uh, from people. This is five years later. I've done a couple revisions to it, new editions, updates. Um, but I do nothing active to market that book um, because, I, like I said, I got distracted into writing about writing. Um, but I keep hearing about the impact it's had on businesses. People keep calling me from all around the world. It was very big in Japan. I mean, so one word of advice to your, uh, to your listeners here is um, make sure that if you write a book that you really want to spend time talking about that topic for quite some time because – um, it is a companion. It is a child you will be taking care of for some time. <laughs> um, so, but then the other word of warning is this. Um, when you set out to write a book, you may discover that you become addicted, that you really love the process of writing the book, of sharing your ideas, of puzzling out how to create something that is really valuable to your readers, and then the, the feedback that you get from people about the book. Um, uh, so my other books, my next book was called the writer's process and it's about really optimizing your inner writing process. And I continue to get amazing feedback from people that just, it makes my day, you know, someone, someone told me the other day and and wrote a review. They didn't tell me they posted a review that the book was life changing for them. I'm like, wow, okay. You don't hear that that often, but that's just, I'm just going to go take the rest of the day off and I'm done. (laughs) That that was good. (laughs) That was a good day. Um, so yeah, it's, you don't always know exactly what direction a book is going to take you. And that's part of the wonderful things about it. That, that, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I, this is my 54th episode. So I've been doing this for a year plus two. And you're one of the mother, few people who have, I've invited on who's actually more of a book writing coach, as opposed to a consultant, speaker, author, who's writing a big business card book to promote their businesses, although your books certainly do help your your business as well. But uh, since you're an expert on writing and 
uh, revisions. I was really excited to see that on your website. Let's focus this episode a little bit differently and talk about the whole revision process because I've been brought in as a developmental editor for authors who've written a first draft and they say, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if I told the right stories. I don't know what's missing. And then I go in there and I say, okay, where are your statistics? Where are your facts? Where are some stories here to make this come alive? It's too, it's, it, this chapter belongs here. That chapter belongs there. You buried a key story here. And I'll, I'll, I'll share some stories with you later. But I want to hear your take on it. Uh, in fact, if we called this Anne's 10 Tips for Revising Your First Draft, I would love that. So okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you let's... roll for a while, but I might have some follow-up questions in there. So what are the okay. biggest mistakes or the biggest, the biggest things that you see when someone hands you a first draft? Um, so, so let me say, if I'm going to come up with 10 tips, let's take <laughs> this as a challenge. Um, my very first one is leave time for revision, right? Don't just draft up to the moment that you're going to send it off um, and to a publisher or to an editor and leave it up to someone to do because um, – Revision is where the brilliance happens. Revision is where all the great stuff happens, um, uh, is where the magic happens. And so, so one is leave time for it. Two, have a process for it. And, and because, like you said, people they hand you a draft and they go, I don't know if this is any good. That's a, a, how, do any, how does any of us assess our writing? We look at a manuscript and go, is it any good? What do I do to make it good? That's too big a problem, Dan. None of us can address that, right? So break it up. Make a process. Um, I suggest that people, I coach authors to take an outside-in or a top-down approach. So this is going to be an iterative process. Be patient, right? (laughs) But to be as efficient as possible, you want to approach it um, from the highest level down to the most granular level. And this is true even if you're going to be working with copy editors and things like that. You want to give them the best copy that you can. Right? You want to give them clean copy. Um, so the highest level, so, so step three is start at the high level, which is to say get yourself a little distance and say um, do some of those questions that you were asking. Do I have data to support my stories? Do I have enough stories? Am I talking too much about abstractions and not much about details? Um, is this thing all in the right order? It, it, we often write from our own perspective. We revise from the perspective of our target reader. Right? We have to put on a different hat, a different set of eyes. So looking at it from the reader, is this everything that I would want in this book from a reader? Do I need this section? Is this in the wrong place? Am I skimming over something or am I putting too much stuff in there? Because me, the writer, I love it, but me, the reader, I'm not going to care. Right? So, So the first thing is this big structural look, does this meet my objectives, um, is, is everything in the right place? And that's kind of the developmental edit pass that you do. I think we all owe it to ourselves, even if we work with a developmental editor, to try that pass on ourselves first and then get the input from a developmental editor because your developmental editor will be able to take it that much further. Um, and then I think the next pass you need to do is to read it start to finish for the reader's flow. And what the flow, I mean, really, as they are reading the words and computing the sentences and the meaning, where do they get stuck? Um, do, you, do you love the long and elaborate complex sentence and string about 80 of thousands of those <laughs> together? And, you know, the steam starts coming out of your reader's ear because they don't think the way that you think they need this, these long thoughts broken up a little bit more. I mean, our objective in life as authors 
is not to have our work so complicated that's included in AP test for can you make any sense of this passage, right? And that's, that's not what we want. <laughs> yes, our great authors are there, but that's not where we want to be, especially if we're trying to reach a business audience. Um, yeah. So, so how do you help the reader flow through it? Um, and then I would do another pass to help you, you know, to then to make it pithy, to, to sharpen up the words, to get rid of redundancy, to look for the abstractions, to look for the jargons, the things that your reader may not be familiar with. Um, things like that, and to really just try to make it sparkle as much as you can. Perfect. I'm not sure if those are 10, but those are certainly... uh, It's at least five. (laughs) If if people just did those things, I'm sure manuscripts would be a lot, lot better. Right. I remember one guy who wrote a a book for HVAC uh, uh, business owners. He had built a billion-dollar business and wanted to teach other people how to run their HVAC businesses, so... He was coach, consultant, such like that, and wanted to share his knowledge. He told the same story three times in the book. Yeah. But you, you, you don't see it because you're so close to it. That's why, why a developmental editor can come across and help, think, help you do things like that. Can you tell yes. us a few stories or, or one story about how you saw something rough that you were able to turn into gold? Um. Well, let me tell you one story because I, this is something I've run into a, lot, a number of times working with authors. Um, a lot of authors hit what I call the messy middle. They're like halfway through their draft, and then they're just kind of at this, you know, can you take a look at it? I, I want some help. I'm, I'm facing this. So they send me, and they've got 45,000 words already, right? And <clears throat> probably their book shouldn't be like a tome. I mean, and maybe it should be a 50,000-word book, and they are only halfway through their draft. And um, I look at it, and we need to go back. What happens is when you really get involved in your writing, and and you probably know this, Dan, is that you outgrow your outline. Mm. You learn, you discover, you add things, um, and you change things, and you find this and find that, and you just get very into it, and you outgrow your outline. So um, one author approached me with one of these. You know, She had 45,000 words. She was halfway through. She was not looking forward to writing the second half. So we looked at the outline and said, well, that, that, you know, you've got a, almost a book here. That is a different set of subjects. You know, this is really two books. You, know, you run yeah. into that kind of thing. Let's restructure. How would we restructure and reframe this? Now we have something that's really useful and really valuable to a specific audience. Boom. You know, and then you can write the follow-on book, which is for that audience five years later. And it was, you know, clearly it was two audiences she was addressing, and that was part of the problem for the messy middle. Um, yeah. So when you get stuck, um, it you know, you takes you might need someone else to help you find your way out of that. But often it's because you've just been too wedded to this outline without stopping to think, who's my reader? What do they really need? Exactly. I, I have that situation right now with the client. She she knows her subject so well that every time I talk to her, it's like, let's add this. I forgot to add that. Let's put this in. Let's put that in. And at some point I said to her, you know, no one's going to want to read a 400-page book. You're going to scare people away. Even if they do need to know this stuff, you have to cut it off at, at some point. You know, my background is in high-tech PR, and we always had this problem with developers. You know, we'd want to announce a new product at a computer trade show. So there were deadlines, but the developers would always say, oh, we have one more feature. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if it had this feature? Oh, wouldn't it be great? And we were saying like, ship the product. If we don't have a product, there's no money to pay for the features. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. I've worked with a lot of engineers in my career, too. And and the other issue is that they get so excited about this feature that they spent this time on, which is for like the 10% use case. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't lead with that. On the, I can't yeah. lead with that in the marketing material. If you have this little tiny use case, you can use this cool new feature. It's like uh, most people, the 90% don't care. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, one question that people always ask me is, what do I put into the book? Because I know so much. And readers today, they want maybe a 20,000, 25,000 word book. I don't know how you feel about that. I'd love to know your comment about that. But, you know, basically 10 chapters, 2,500 words, something easy and breezy they can get through. And yet positions them as the expert who, who they get to know, like, and trust, who can lead them from mess to success and make them look like a hero. The brand story. I love that. If you haven't read that book, it's the best book ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. yeah. Um, but how do you, what how do you work with your clients and let tell them know that this is enough stop already so um so here's another uh revelation for some authors because they're doing the book for their their career they want to be the off the expert the book is not about you hmm. all right it's not about you the author yes it will make you an expert in your subject but as long as you're thinking it's about you and you've got to show off all the stuff you need you are not serving your reader you have to think about what the reader needs to know. And if you serve their needs, they are going to think you are a trusted expert, even if you haven't shown them every little bit of expertise that's flying around in your head. They will know. If you do, especially if you do a good job of explaining something to them that they just didn't get before, you know, you will be their trusted advisor. Um, you will have demonstrated your expertise, not by swamping them with everything you know, but by helping them get from point A to point B and maybe point C. Um, as to book length, yeah, my first book, uh, subscription marketing, the first edition was about 25,000 words. So it was a short book. I was able to really write it pretty quickly. I published it independently because I felt this urgency to get out in the world. No one was writing about this thing back in 2015. No one was. And I thought, well, I'm going to be the one I'm going to write about it. Um, I could have been a couple years too early because <laughs> it really took off a couple years later, which is, that's, that's fine. Um, but I, and I got a lot of good comments about the fact that it was short. It was effective. It was what people needed. Um, the second vis- uh, version of it, I had learned so much more talking to people. Um, they went back and updated it and I added more content. So it ended up about 30 something, 34,000 words. Um, uh, but again, it kind of find what you need. It's a little bit of a smorgasbord in the sense that you can find the, the things you need. I don't believe in, for business books, I don't believe in really long books. Um, and I think as indie authors have more, uh, more ability to do a short, succinct, very on topic book. Um, I think a lot of traditional publishers still want to have the thickness of the, the spine so they can charge more so the retailers will carry it because there's money money enough to dedicate their book space it's a whole different business model when you're trying to get into the retail bookstores with the traditional publisher and so for those you'll often hear no we need at least 60,000 words or we need at least 50,000 words um, so that's one of the divides uh, in terms of book length um, which business model you're using actually affects the book length Oh, definitely. I have two quick points about that. I wrote a book on how to get publicity, and it was 96 pages, which was all I thought it needed. Little did I realize that the spine was so thin that my name in the book title didn't appear on the spine. It's like, okay, 
learned from that one. <laughs> yep, yep, now, there's a minimum. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a minimum. And, and second, I wrote one of the first books about uh, voice recognition technology in 1999. So talk about being ahead of the market. Uh, and I thought like, oh, phones are going to get smaller. People won't be able to type. They'll have to, they'll have to talk into their phones in order to get anything done. Little did I realize that people type with their thumbs. And 14 years later, it became a thing. But too early to market? Yeah, definitely a problem. So when you work with your clients at the very beginning stages and they're bouncing ideas off of you, there's, this is a segue, by the way. It's like, how do, you, how do you help them figure out what to write about? That's one of the big questions I get a lot because these people know a lot of things. But again, we want to limit them to 10 chapters and 25,000 words. What advice do you have for someone to get focused? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm just working on this very subject right now as I'm working on my next book, right? So your timing is perfect. Um, you know, you are going to advise people to find a niche, right? I'm going to advise people to find a niche, find a very specific area. And everybody pushes back. They say, but, but, but my book's for everybody. Or mm -hmm. how will I, how will I be a New York Times bestseller if I am niching, right? Um, so, uh, you do need to find a very specific way that your book fits and there's, but you know, niche, the metaphor of niche seems constricting. So I'm going to use the word, but I want you to think about it a little more broadly. You know, you need to focus in on your subject. What's the subject you need to focus in on who your audience is. Um, and that the audience niche is very important. I mean, you'll see it in, in a lot of book titles. If there's, you know, a, uh, um, you know, public speaking for techies, um, uh, you know, it, it, public speaking for authors. You could, you know, the book titles or subtitles have the niche in them often. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes your niche, though, is a lens. Sometimes a niche is your view of the world. Those are like the, the big picture books, right? The big, the big idea books, big idea books. Like a, um, a friend of mine has written a book about risk called uh, The Gray Rhino, about the big obvious risks coming at us. So that is her lens. She's looking at finance and policy and human, you know, personal experience, all with that one lens. So her niche is her lens. But you've got to have something that's very specific that your book fits into. Um, because otherwise you don't, when you do, not only can you market it more effectively and you know how to sell it, you write better because you can picture your audience and what their needs are. And so you know how to package it. And you can also tap into your innate conversational skills in your writing. Right. It would, if you can actually picture another person as you're writing, you can kind of get out of your authorly writing persona and into a more human one. And that will make your book way better. Fantastic. Now, you've written a number of books and you've revised your books. And what have you learned about yourself as a writer and what what uh, someone who's who knows how to write? What have you discovered that is things that we wouldn't have even thought about? Oh, geez. Um, you know, the, the key thing for me is always, always to keep going back to uh, my target reader and what their needs are. I, I will start out, you know, when I mentioned before the messy middle, mm -hmm. I run into that with every single one of my books. I have an outline and I get, I charge through for about halfway and I'm like, it's not working because while I've been writing this first half, I'm really thinking a lot about what the reader needs and I get through and I'm like, this is not the the, the book I had envisioned is not the one that I think that they need. And I need to envision a new book and I need to re-outline and refocus. Um, so that's the thing that I've learned is that I actually have to spend a lot of time writing to really get the topic and to really try to put myself in the reader's perspective. I can't do it 
as an armchair, sit and think, and then boom, now I have the perfect outline. I'm going to write. What I've learned is that for me, I just have to be spewing words in the paper. I have to be immersed in the process um, and then not afraid to revise it, cut it, put it in a file says stuff that needs a new home that'll get a new home later. And, and just, just to, just to, I don't like cutting my work. So I don't, I don't delete it. I have a little stuff that needs a new home. It'll be a blog post. It'll be something. Don't, you know, just let it go gently off to some other purpose. Um, well, <laughs> definitely. I, I tell my clients the same thing, you know, hold on to it. We may need it. We'll put it somewhere else. It, it has yeah. another life. It's a lot easier to cut things later than to come back and say, oh, we need another story here. We need something else there. It's like, oh, I thought I was done with my book. What am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so write everything and then work with the developmental yeah. editor and they'll tell you what you need to cut. Now, while, as we're coming to an end here, we have one final question. I hope it doesn't lead to more questions, but it could. Uh, it sounds like you have some clients who are stuck at a certain point. How do you get them over the hump, or as Seth Godin would say, get them past the dip? Um, usually, it's just by bringing them back to their vision of what they want this book to do for this person. Who's the person they're trying to reach, and what's the impact they want it to have on their life? And when you can really get to that, then you can look at the outline and say, here's probably what they need. They probably don't want to. 8,000 word chapter, you know, might they want to browse back through this later? You know, you can start to ask what are the questions that they need. Um, And then at a certain point, they get a vision of what that book is. And when you have that vision in your head, you understand it, it's it's more exciting, and it's easier to fill it out and get it done. Fantastic. And why don't you tell everyone what you do, who you do it for, and how they can get in touch with you? Okay, so uh, I write books about writing. I publish them myself, and I do some coaching with nonfiction authors, business authors. Um, and you can get in touch with me. You just find me at anjanzer.com, which is my website. I have a once every other week writing related email, and I do a book drawing once a month to that email list, which is always fun. Um, and you'll see some online courses I have, and just that's a great place to find me and what I'm doing. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. It's fun talking. Thanks for listening to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.